Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we have been on this journey to discover once more what Jesus meant. These are somewhat cryptic things that Jesus has been talking about in this passage in the Gospel account of Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of it was very much practical. It was rooted in the culture and the circumstances of the day, his day, the day of the people that he experienced in person. And for us that are so far removed by almost 2,000 years, it can be difficult for us to understand the deeper meaning. And so we've been going back and looking at it. And Jesus was living in the midst of a people who had felt that their best days were behind them, that they were living as a conquered people. They had been conquered by multiple nations, first Babylon, and then the Persian Empire rose and conquered Babylon. And Persian was better than Babylon because it at least sent them home and helped them to rebuild the temple that Babylon had destroyed. But then after Persia came the rise of what would eventually become the Roman Empire. And the people were living in that state when Jesus was born and grew up to speak these words. And life under the Roman Empire was not good. It was not great for them. The Roman Empire had a drastically different understanding of religion. It wanted to elevate their leader, the emperor, to the status of a demigod, which the people of Israel would not give their assent and would not cooperate. And so they were viewed as a dissenting, troublesome people. Perhaps it was the Roman Empire that could actually feel what God was talking about, about a stiff-necked people. And so these people were yearning for change. They were crying out because they thought, if only we could have an heir to the house of David to sit upon the throne, then once more there would be unity between the monarchy and the priesthood and the prophets and our God, and the people would once more know what it is like to live under those circumstances that nostalgia told them was so great. Of course, if we go back and read First and Second Kings in the Old Testament, we'll find that it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, but it had to be better than the, the suffering and the trials and the tribulations of the Roman Empire. That's how the people felt. And so Jesus, in the midst of talking about don't respond out of anger and revenge to another person, to an oppressor or to an opponent or to someone with whom you are in conflict, but instead, Jesus is urging us, respond with love. Respond out of love and then give them love. Love that you would know that they don't deserve, but love that you give because it is unmerited favor. That same unmerited favor that is the very foundation of God's grace for us. And so for a lot of us that have grown up in the church, you've probably heard of the concept of second mile giving. Well, that's where it comes from right here, to go even further than what is asked of you. Now, a lot of times in the Old Testament, people wanted to kind of live in this space created by the law. I'll just kind of stay in this fenced off area and I won't go beyond it. I'll just kind of cap a limit to it. And a lot of that has kind of been inherited by some Christians, the idea that we should all be shooting to top. Well, actually, tithing was the minimal standard. <laughs> you had to tithe. And then anything above that was second 
mile giving, which is where a lot of us have heard this. But Jesus is literally talking about going a second mile. And we're not talking about, you know, trying to get ready for a half marathon or a marathon and learning to run with somebody, although that would probably be a good thing right now to get outside and get exercise. But what Jesus is talking about is something that is actually beyond our point of reference as modern day people, especially here in the United States. And that is a policy that the Roman army had, that it actually inherited from the Persians, if you can believe this, and it's about compulsion, that they could compel someone who is under their rule, someone who is not even a citizen, to assist their military. It might be to give you orders, or it might be to actually have you carry something with them for the modern equivalent of a mile. And that's kind of weird to us, or perhaps not, because even in our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, and our amendments, we have the understanding that the military can't make me quarter soldiers, can't make me house anybody in the parsonage that I don't want to house, or that the church doesn't want to house. But this is kind of similar in that they could make you do something and you didn't have any right to say no. And that sounds odd, it certainly sounds a little terrifying, but we actually witness this later on in the gospel accounts when the soldiers compel Simon, Simon to take the piece of the cross that Jesus was carrying and carry it the rest of the way for Jesus up to Golgotha or Calvary. We see it, but we don't always recognize that this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. It happened all the time. And so it's really easy for us to go, okay, well, Jesus is talking about a very specific circumstance, a very specific experience, and maybe with very specific people, and then how does that apply to us? But we have to go deeper. Jesus goes very deep into what it is to be a human being, a person of sacred worth, and we as Christians are driven to go that deep. What Jesus is talking about here is that something had shifted in the Roman Empire by the time of Emperor Augustus. So this was in play during the Imperial Roman Army's rule of 30 BC, so before Jesus was born, all the way to 284 AD. Emperor Augustus had established a division in the military. You had the legions who were made up of 100% Roman citizens. They volunteered, they were given the best equipment, they were given the best armor, so the most protection, they were given the best pay and the best benefits. They had the best of the best. But there was also the auxilia, so the auxiliary military, which was made up of the 90% of the Roman Empire that weren't actual citizens. The Roman Empire had grown so large and so vast and stretched across so much geography that 90% of the area that was known as the Roman Empire were not actually Roman citizens. And one of the things that the Roman emperors loved to do was take a census and find out how many able-bodied men there were and then conscript them, make them serve in the auxiliary forces. So chances are, if you were being compelled to be in service, you weren't being compelled by members of the legion. You were probably being compelled by another oppressed person, someone who was probably far from their homeland, in a place with languages and customs that they didn't speak and understand, a stranger in a strange land. So for you to help them 
was actually going all the way back into the Torah. And what Jesus would tell us is to welcome the stranger and to show radical hospitality. Because these people probably didn't want to be here either. There were some who volunteered, but the vast majority of the auxiliary military were conscripted. They were forced to serve and to be in this role. And then as they were trudging around with subpar armor and equipment and having to do the nastiest, hardest jobs of the military, which back then were especially horrible, they would occasionally need help. And when they asked for help, they could only make you go a mile. But Jesus is saying, don't look at the bare minimum that you could do. Instead, respond radically with an abundant willingness to go with them further, to show that you are compassionate and kind as our God is. He was encouraging them to do something that many of them would have to experience, either with members of their household and family, themselves, or perhaps they would simply witness it. But they needed to know that this happened all the time. The Roman Empire loved to move its troops around and show its force. And so people were routinely asked to help do these things. And it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that each person listening to this sermon the day that Jesus preached it would have to confront this possibility. Do I only go the mile they can make me go? Or do I choose to do more? And Jesus is telling us, go deeper, go further. By talking about going the second mile, Jesus isn't just talking about one instance when you encounter a foreign soldier. Jesus is talking about more than the foreign soldier. He's talking about a systemic issue, the system that takes people, pries them away from their families, and makes them serve and do things that they would never have chosen to do for themselves. People who are a victim of circumstances, people who are suffering and have no one around that they are related to or who can offer them compassion, but his followers who choose of their own volition to be a compassionate presence for these people. That is what Jesus is offering us to do, which is why in so many stewardship campaigns, you've heard people talk about beyond what you regularly give, beyond your tithe. If you decide to give above and beyond, that would be second mile. That would be you choosing. We don't demand second mile giving. That's a gift from the heart. And that's the same thing Jesus is talking about here, moving beyond just the bare minimum. I mean, have you ever had that time where you knew, you know what, I'm only going to do what I have to do. And after that, oh well. You know, it's like if I tell my son to clear the table and all he does is put his own silverware and dinner plate in the dishwasher, right? But then sometimes, miraculously, he seems to help clear the entire table and sometimes he'll even put things away like spices and, and any leftovers. And it really makes the difference because after you've cooked a meal and prepped it and, and done all of that, then to have somebody choose to go above and beyond is really heartwarming. And if we can learn to do that with helping at the dinner table, imagine how our world would change if we could do it in other ways. So what Jesus is saying is actually look to do more. Go further. And that's scary. I mean, you put yourself at risk physically. I mean, there's a vulnerability. You're putting yourself out there relationally. And a lot of people are terrified of that. 
How many times have you as someone who strives to be a disciple of Jesus Christ thought to yourself, you know what, the next time opportunity knocks, the next time the door is open and the spirit moves, I am going to do it. I'm going to put myself out there and I'm really going to live what Jesus said. And then the moment came and you're confronted with another human being and you freeze or you chicken out or you think, I just, not today, let's try again tomorrow. And we get the example of this in Peter. Peter is so committed. He is so continually moved by the preaching and the teachings and the life of Jesus that he wants to go further. He wants to go way out there. And the day that he picks to do that is the day when there's a storm and they all think they're going to die because they're on a ship and suddenly Jesus comes walking on water. And all on the waters of chaos and in the midst of this storm and terror, He sees Jesus and he becomes convinced that this is his moment. This is my time. And he says to the Lord, if you tell me to walk on water and come to you, then I can do it. And he believes that he can go out into the dark and the depths and there he can still triumph and show Jesus his faith and his commitment. And he starts and he starts to get out there and then he loses focus on Jesus. And before long, he's sinking because his fear has distracted him. And we are a people of faith. We are commanded, invited, encouraged, and challenged to use faith and not to respond to our fear. We're all afraid. All of the great Christians of our tradition and our history, and even now, are afraid. But we have a faith that is bigger than our fear. And so we take those risks. We put ourselves out there. We are vulnerable to the world and to other people because we know that the risk is worth it because we don't know what will happen. We have no idea how far those moments where we go the second mile will truly go. We don't know that the seed that we're scattering won't germinate within the next two years, 12 years, 20 years. We don't know. All we're doing is responding out of faith and entrusting that in faith, God, in God's way, in God's time, will continue to nurture what we have done in the hearts and in the minds and in the lives of these people so that they too will have their moment, their mountaintop experience, their moment of unfailing grace. And they will discover that this incredible God in whom we have our faith, who came to us on Christmas, is their God as well. And that takes courage, commitment, and it means that we have to start choosing Jesus over our comfort. And that is hard. But then again, we've been looking all Advent at a scene that is not about our comfort. It is not about comfort at all. I don't think any of these people in the nativity look comfortable. I mean, Jesus is laying in a manger, and Mary gave birth here, and Joseph is trying to figure out how to take care of them, and the shepherds have to leave their flocks and, and hope that nothing happens to them when they leave. I mean, anybody who's been around a group of kids know that the second you turn their back, somebody's going over a fence. And you get afraid. I mean, think about the wise men. They were used to power and privilege. And all of a sudden, they're going to show up and kneel down and worship? I mean, it's a complete reversal of comfort. It's about getting uncomfortable. And because all of those people actually got uncomfortable in real life, we have this story. 
We have this vision. We have this legacy. People got uncomfortable. And the result was one of the greatest stories ever told. I think the real great story is the Easter story. But the Christmas story is a close second. The best part about getting uncomfortable is that even if we falter, we fail, we are not going to fall. Even when Peter felt the waves rising above him and drowning being threatened, Jesus reached down and plucked him up and saved him. And God is not just our Savior. God is our comforter. God promises to comfort us when we do fall short of glory. And we know, love, and are called to serve a God that did not abandon us when we failed, did not abandon us when we chose our will and a path of sin over righteousness and God's will, did not abandon us when we decided to drift into darkness rather than to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. Every day, we are gifted to know a God who has chosen to love us and has now chosen us to reveal that love what could be more loving than to choose to go not just as far as someone has asked us to go, but to walk with them twice as far, to do more than they ever expected? Because we have a Savior who was born to this kind of humble beginning, who didn't just come and preach and teach and whip out a few miracles. We have a Savior who, by his own will, got up on the cross and poured out a bonding grace for all of us. Every sin that we have committed in the past, every sin we will commit today, and every sin we could possibly commit in the future has given us that much grace and more. And what Jesus is asking of us now in this time of preparation before Christmas is to take an in-depth look at who we are and how we respond to people. When we see someone who is crying out, asking for help, or maybe they can't even cry out and ask for help, and we just recognize the need, how do we respond? Do we respond like those who recognize that we have to be part of the work of this world to bring forth the kingdom to come? Or are we a people who are just entirely leaving that all up to Jesus? It's sometimes too easy for Christians to think that at the end of the day, Jesus is going to come back and fix everything, so we'll just hang tight. We'll just do us and let Jesus fix this big, hot mess of a world. But there's a big difference between a new build and a renovation, and Jesus is asking us to be part of that. Jesus was the son of a mason. Jesus understood what it was to work with his hands and to construct something. But there's a big difference between starting from nothing and asking people to build upon something, to add on, or to renew and renovate something. There's a huge difference. And Jesus said, even if this temple is torn down, I will rebuild it. But I am the cornerstone, and we build upon that cornerstone. We do it with our acts of compassion, our acts of love, kindness, and mercy, all of those are building the kingdom here. And if we do our part, if we are working on ourselves, if we continue to push to be renewed in how we speak and act toward other people, 
then perhaps that will free up Jesus on the day of resurrection. Instead of having to spend so much time on us, Jesus can pour out more abundant presence, grace, love, and renewal on those that don't know how incredible he is, that haven't heard that the gospel is really for them, that have spent their entire earthly existence struggling and suffering and don't realize that all of those commandments, all of those covenants, and all of the grace of the cross was really for them because they don't understand that they're children of God too. It's a title that we embrace in the church, whether we're baptizing an infant or talking about our brothers and sisters, our siblings in Christ. We embrace that concept of having been adopted into the family of God. But there are too many people in this world that think they are orphans, that don't believe that they are a child of God and don't believe that that God would ever choose to adopt them and share God's love, grace, and resources. So what really happens is that if we as Christians don't choose to walk the path of discipleship and examine ourselves and push ourselves when fear would stop us, then what really happens is that we become the legions. We become the minority that are very comfortable in our own salvation, our own comfort and how we worship and practice our faith in Jesus Christ. And the over 90% of the others feel that they are being forced to do things without understanding how much God loves them and cares about them. And whether we like it or not, God has chosen us to be part of that work. That's what Jesus was trying to convey to the 12 on the night in which he was betrayed. He said to them, I came not to be served, but to serve. And the greatest of you will be the servant of all. We are called to be a people who don't look to our own selves first, but look first to serving others as if we are Jesus Christ, as if they are Christ and worthy of our service. We are called to not only look for Christ in others, but to let others see Christ in us. And there is still time to do that. We may have lit the last candle on the outside of the wreath, but there are still days until Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And maybe you're feeling that there's a lot of work and examination. There's too much for in the time left. Well, lucky for you and for me, we serve a God that does not have a firm deadline and then cuts us off and casts us out. We serve a God of grace who says, if it is your desire, your will to embrace that grace, then it is here. And I will walk through the darkness with you. I will bring you into the light of a bright and beautiful future. And I will show you that all of your hopes and your dreams and your faith in me will truly have form in the kingdom to come. And that's our work this day and every day until Christ comes back again. Not in a manger, but in triumph. And may we be some of the very first who kneel down and profess that we have done our very best to serve as Christ served and to love as we have first been loved. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org. 
to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.